Tanya. Polo. <laughs> so I haven't recorded one of these in a couple of years, but I remember years ago when I first met you, we were studying art. You were someone who was hugely into spiritual stuff. Back then it would have been just defined as new age. Yeah, probably. And I loved hearing what you had to say, but I was always very... Um, <laughs> skeptical? Yeah, I was very skeptical, yeah. <laughs> But um, as time has passed, a lot of my own personal understanding of how spirituality works has become a lot more open. Yeah. And maybe for you as well, you've developed as well in your own way. Yeah, a bit. Um, I think because I've been living in Byron Bay for a couple of years, seven yeah. years, and spiritual conversations are just normal yeah, yeah. <laughs> over there. So I just kind of relaxed a lot about it. It just became part of every day, really. Mm. What's your deal? My deal? Yeah. With spirituality? You mean? Yeah. Well, I had an awakening when I was about 18 years old. I had a near-death experience. And that kind of planted seeds in my subconscious, really. It wasn't something I could talk about with people around me at the time. But when I was 20, I was at university and I was studying myths and legends and film. And when I started reading about all these myths and legends, like the King Arthur legends, Glastonbury and all those things... I started really questioning my belief system and thinking, how can there not be a God when so many people have put all their energy into being of service or honouring God or, you know, creating rituals and having ceremonies and having sacred things in their life, sacred architecture, stories. So I started to question my own closed-mindedness. Yeah, and that's one thing that makes sense for me as well. Like, how could someone dedicate so much to something that, that doesn't give you any results? Where does it come from? Mm. You know, do you one day decide, okay, let's start worshipping, like, for example, that plant. And then you just create this whole, it's, it's like writing a novel. They kind of developed something, like a story, that became passed on and, yeah. and became more real to them. But all of a sudden, there are certain patterns that you'll see common in almost every religion. Yes, the two great religions that were described to me are the ones like Buddhism where you look within and then you have the Abrahamic ones where you look upwards to the greater. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you set your focuses. But yeah, once I've heard out a few of these other religions, I kind of realized that, oh crap, there are so many things that they're touching on that's really similar. Yeah. That I think it's within everyone's nature that once you believe what you believe, everything else you've got to kind of keep at a distance so it doesn't affect what you've chosen to believe. Mm-hmm. People get very attached to what they believe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was um, 20, I went through an experience uh, where I couldn't sleep for a really long time, for six years. Yeah. <laughs> and because I felt like I was going to die during that time, I started to question, where am I going to go when I die? <laughs> and yeah. what's going to happen to me? Am I going to, you know, because I've been brought up Catholic, so I was like still thinking of heaven and hell at that point. By the way, just, just quickly, what was the near-death experience that you had? Near-death experience was a heroin overdose. Damn. <laughs> yeah, so when I was about 18, 19, I was living with some housemates who had a lot of money, they came from wealthy families, and they just partied all the time, and I just decided to try things. I was just very experimental. I was too smart to get addicted to anything. I never would have heroin one day and then have it the next day. I, yeah, I would always nice like leave a nice big gap because I saw lots of people have it one day, then the following day, then they were addicted. And I just thought it was so stupid because it's such a boring lifestyle to be addicted to. <laughs> it's so expensive and it ruins your health and it ruins everything. Yeah. But um, I guess like I was fascinated because 
when I was younger, I traveled to Thailand with my family and saw these opium fields from the train. I was like, oh, what's all this controversy about these opium fields? And like, I was a fan of Jim Morrison and he died from it and Janis Joplin. And I was just curious. I just was a teenager and just wanting to try everything to know for myself what things felt like. Okay. And I also used to wonder about people that got addicted to drugs. Like I used to wonder how I, I would help people who were addicted and I wanted to have some personal experience. Okay. Yeah, so I ended up taking a larger amount than I normally would, which wasn't even that much, but my friend got some from a dealer and he said it was really weak, so we needed to have more than what we would normally take and that was like $50 (laughs) worth. (laughs) And I nearly died from $50. (laughs) Did you inject it? Yeah, I injected it. Wow. I know, like now I don't like needles at all. Like how did I used to do that? But I was just a teenager, like a stupid teenager (laughs) who didn't care like about anything. You're just trying everything, but I was immortal. Yeah, yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, but that was actually, besides being dangerous, that was actually a really enlightening experience. It was amazing. Yeah. And um, I found myself kind of floating in outer space and I could see all the stars really close by, but it was kind of real. Like I felt like I was in a ship, like an astronaut on a rocket out in outer space looking at the stars. Like I was really out there and I was like, what is going on? Why, what am I doing out here looking at the stars? And then I heard this music and it was beautiful orchestral music with some chimes and bells and also some sounds like insects and earthy sounds. And then I heard a voice saying to me, are you ready to never hear the music of earth ever again? And I was like, what is going on? And I could see this light and it was kind of um, like starting from a, a source in the middle and then expanded out and it was like in sacred geometry pat- patterns and it was moving with the music that I could hear. like yeah. This, yeah, like a visual representation of the music. And I suddenly realized I wasn't breathing. I was like, shit, I'm not breathing. (laughs) So I forced myself to come back into my body to take another breath. And I don't know how long I had to breathe for, but it must have been a long time. Mm. And then I just woke up on this couch and I was like, thank God, I'm still here. (laughs) But I did lose my fear of death though. Okay. I've heard that before. I've, yeah. I interviewed another friend who said the same thing happened. Mm. She sort of, she drowned in a pool mm-hmm. and she was there maybe 10 minutes mm-hmm. and a lady down the street got alerted and came and resuscitated her. But she said that she had that like ego death where she was one with the universe and mm. I mean, she was a, still a kid, so she couldn't really fathom it. She just could only kind of laugh yeah. because it, it just felt like ludicrous the way that we perceive yeah. life as, you know, you are just a person in in this skin bag. Totally. Yeah. I felt um, kind of excited to die after that. Mm. I was like, I'm I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Because it was, it's hard to describe because I was only there for not very long, but it was just a really nice feeling like, it was like a big adventure was about to unfold. Yeah. And there was no fear either from where I was, where I was going to go. And I suppose a lot of people that do um, like ayahuasca or hallucinogenics or, you know, acid mushrooms, a lot of these people sort of come to the same conclusion. It's almost like a therapy for them where they do these sort of mind-altering drugs that traditionally we think is just purely causing brain damage. Mm-hmm. But they're finding that it's helping them in many ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, DMT is a molecule that you have in high concentrations when you're dying and when you're being born. So, yeah, it is like a death experience. And right. people do lose their fear of death because they understand what it's going to be like when yeah. they had that those plant medicines. Yeah. 
Mm. There's a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. One of those is from an outsider's perspective. When I met you, you said a lot of things that to me was just like, how could you possibly believe it? Mm-hmm. And that, that applies to any religion, I understand. Mm-hmm. But how do you approach the disingenuous side of it? It happens with every religion, mm-hmm. but in your case where it's known for being very open-minded, mm-hmm. how would you approach something with skepticism? Well, I don't really get involved in what other people do too much. Like I don't get emotionally engaged when other people do too much, unless it's affecting me. I just sort of observe and decide who I want to spend my time with and who's worth my time. Um, yeah. Yeah, like I think a lot of those things aren't treated with as much respect as they need to be, like especially yeah. plant medicines. I had some experience with that in Byron Bay and I know like a lot of people seem to use it regularly as a crutch, like, for example, if they want to use ayahuasca to help them with alcohol addiction or just, mm-hmm. like, lots of excessive alcohol consumption, they might go and do ayahuasca, they might feel amazing, they might feel really happy for a little while, but then they sort of slip back into the old patterns. And when it's kind of taken so lightly and done with, like, a bunch of people and someone who's declared themselves as shaman from probably from having a lot of ayahuasca themselves or something like that, Without going through all the different life experiences and really understanding the tradition of it, it's used in a way that's kind of a bit more superficial and those medicines need to be completely respected. And and when they're used in a therapeutic sense for people who have really pure intention for healing and have a lot of knowledge about healing, they can be amazingly transformative and can you know, cure someone of alcohol addiction, etc. But they have to be used in the right way. Yeah. But people are just kind of like seeking higher altered states of consciousness so much that they're just willing to just go and jump in and do all sorts of stuff. You know, without really understanding the tradition and giving it quite the respect it deserves. Yeah. Mm. Have you used plant medicine like that? Mm-hmm. How many times? Um, a couple times. Okay. Yeah. Have you had any huge breakthroughs? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my first time was incredible. I felt like I was gone for a year when it was only seven hours. <laughs> really? I felt I've like heard I, of that before. I like felt pe- like I shifted doing... through a year's worth of stuff. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Like I had strong intentions for that experience. It was my very first time. Right. And I wanted to actually heal from drugs and alcohol when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I wanted to heal from when I couldn't sleep. And yeah, I went through kind of two extraordinary journeys. The very first cup that I had, I was able to process all these times that I've been drunk and high. I actually went through every single moment I've been drunk and high in my entire life. Just flashbacks of all of it. Wow. (laughs) I was walking to this bathroom and I felt like I would have been such a funny person on video. Like I just would have had my arms flailing and I would look like a a nutcase basically. I was just releasing all of it. And then I actually thought I died and I was, I was thinking, oh, no, I've died. My mum's going to be really upset that I've died <laughs> taking ayahuasca. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I felt this thing go in my face. And it was actually an ayahuasca vine I walked into. But I must have had my eyes closed. That's why I thought I was dead because I couldn't see anything. Everything was black. But I probably just had my eyes closed. <laughs> and I suddenly woke up like, yes, I'm still alive. And um, that was really intense. But I felt like I purged a lot. And then I had my second cup. And... I went through just lots of different visuals. Like it was just like cartoon images, but it's bang, 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 one after the other. Just seeing everything, like seeing the emotion and everyone's actions here in my life at the time. And also I felt this incredible 
connection to the Mother Earth. Like it was absolutely beautiful. That seems to be the one in common, hey? Yeah, the, the yeah. Well, that's what it. That's what it is. Everyone's journey is individual, depending on their intention. But definitely, yeah. it's all about Mother Earth. And and I really felt like I could be on the same timeline as the dinosaurs and all this stuff. And afterwards, I noticed that when I listened to shows talking about cosmological information, like this comet's been cruising around for six hundred million years, I would feel it and I would understand it where before it'd be like this fact that was too incomprehensible yeah but after the ayahuasca I was able to feel and make everything real everything about life real yeah Mm. that's interesting so are there drugs that could let's say that those drugs would you say they raise your frequency I've heard it described like that um yeah definitely could do so if that were the case Mm -hmm. are there drugs that lower your frequency as well um, do you mean plant medicines? Any type of drug. It could be panad- anything like Panadol. Yeah, definitely. Or, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think it also depends on the experiences that you have while you're, while you're taking drugs. Yeah. And yeah, some will have toxic effects on the body, so they definitely will lower your frequency. Drugs like ayahuasca, they're purgative, so you um, release a lot. You, you physically vomit and have diarrhea. <laughs> but you're clearing yeah, out all yeah. the lower frequency stuff on them. Right. Mm. So it comes out in your... Yeah, it comes out all through, always. Yeah, <laughs> right. Mm. That must have been amazing. So, walk me through what it's like not sleeping for six years. Like, how did it start and how did it end? Well, it basically started when I was at university studying, as I mentioned, myths um, and legends and film. And I decided to stay awake for three nights to finish all my assignments. I had four due in one week, mm-hmm. and I was. A bit of a social animal at that point, like <laughs> always going out every night, leave my homework to the last minute. So I stayed up for three nights. I took some stimulants. My friend gave me like, I can't even remember what they were, like just ones over the counter, like no dose or something like that. Right. And then after three days, I just tried to go a bit to sleep because I thought I'm done. I can't do any more homework. Staying awake from caffeine is, that's quite an achievement. <laughs> well, yeah. Then I just couldn't go back to sleep. It's like my body just forgot how to go to sleep. But I did find out later that I had this spinal injury and had a, a dura mater membrane trauma and I wasn't actually getting many nerve messages from my brain to my organs, like my stomach only registered 8% of messages from my brain. Yeah. So I think I just kind of, I was already um, vulnerable to disconnecting from my body, like not very in my body. And then just staying awake for three days, I just completely forgot the connection with my body right. and then I couldn't sleep. Oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> what did not sleeping for that amount of time do to you? Well, so at night time, for example, what would mm, you do at night? You'd lie there and just wait? I'd hope every night I'd go to sleep. I'd go to bed, I'd lie there, hoping, <laughs> and then it wouldn't happen. So sometimes I would just read all night. Okay. I became a really voracious reader, especially of books about spirituality. Right, yeah. Sometimes I'd go outside and look at the stars, mm-hmm. and I would send prayers out to the world. Sometimes I'd cry. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'd just write. I'd just write down all my thoughts, and in the morning I'd put them in some water and drown them, just like purging. Okay, okay. Um, Sometimes I'd rearrange my whole room. I think if maybe if I have better feng shui in my room, I will sleep. So I'd rearrange my bed and rearrange everything everywhere. I'd clean out drawers and clean out things, just trying to make the space nicer. Yeah. Yeah, just all sorts of stuff. Did it hurt your mental health really badly? Um, I felt like I was happy. Still, when okay. I was because I was fairly young, I was only twenty when it started, mm-hmm. and I felt like deep down I was happy. But it hurt my mental health to have other people around me start questioning my mental health, like questioning why I couldn't sleep, 
Like people yeah. telling me, oh, you must be depressed. And I'm going to the doctors and they're saying, oh, you must have depression. I'm like, I don't know why I've got depression though. Like I don't really know what's going on in my life that would make me depressed. Yeah. I had like a good supportive family. I had friends. I was happy with lots of other things. So I didn't really get why I was depressed. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really make sense to me, but I used to feel upset hearing that though. But very early on, I started to have spiritual experiences, which I'd never had before in my life. Okay. Yeah. Let's get into that. Then. <laughs> and that kind of led me through the whole six years successfully <laughs> without getting into any major trouble. Okay. <laughs> um, so I started seeing lights, basically. Okay. So the very first time I saw lights, it was with my cat. My cat was asleep in my bed and he was asleep on my pillow. And I thought, oh, I want to make my bed today. I need to change the sheets. But I didn't want to disturb the cat. I thought it looks so cute while it's sleeping. And I just, I said to the universe, because I had become a bit spiritual at that point from reading books, actually. I said to the universe, I wish I could find a way to move my cat off my bed without waking it up. As soon as I thought that, I suddenly saw this little light appear right in front of the cat and it was like gold and it was like kind of like sparkling and it was just stayed there and I thought it's not a hallucination because it's been there for like two minutes like I was looking at it for a long time and then I said okay little light <laughs> I'll play along with you can you please get my cat to move off the bed and as soon as I thought that my cat opened its eyes and looked at this light and sat up and stretched and did a yawn and then the light started moving down the bed and then off the end of the bed and the cat just followed it. And then a couple of days later, I was looking at my cat in the garden and I had this beautiful, I saw a beautiful pink aura around it. And that was like when I started, that was the first time I started seeing things. And then after that, I started seeing lights a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like always helpful though, always, yeah. always helpful. Nothing to be afraid of really. I'd see them when I was reading a book, like I'd see them on certain words in a book and I'd find I'd look at those words more intently and take the information in. Sometimes I'd go to a bookshop and I'd see the lights go down the spine of a book and I'd pull the book out and I'd open a page and I'd see another little light. And sometimes it'd have a noise, it had like a little bell sound and it would kind of zoom through the page like a comet. And it was amazing because it would often be exactly the answer to what I was thinking in my mind. Right. But I'd get answers wow. really, really quickly. Okay. So it kind of became like, because I couldn't sleep and I found out later I had trap nerves in my neck that affected my memory and stuff. And I actually lost my memory. Like I couldn't remember going to high school, primary school, childhood, <laughs> anything during that time. Because my neck was in a reverse cervical curve. So yeah, there was all sorts of problems with my nerves in my neck. But my intuition became super, super strong. So I think have not being able to function normally and not being able to think clearly and think in the way that I'd always been taught to think and thought all my life was actually good to get out of the way and just use my intuition. Okay. So I became highly intuitive about everything. Like in the morning, I would just sort of lie there and I'd wait until I get like a vision in my third eye, my pineal gland. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it would be just like a dress and I'd see this blue dress. I'm like, okay, today I'm going to go shopping and go shopping until I'd find this blue dress that I'd have the vision of. And often I'd just find that dress or just something really similar like that felt like the same energy of seeing that dress in my third eye. Okay. So I just let my intuition guide me every day. So you just became incredibly open-minded to this. Yeah. And you, you opened yourself to this experience. Yeah, definitely. And I think not sleeping helped, helped me it. to open my mind because I had no more mind anyway. I had no more old mind. It all gone right. away. All I had was his intuition constantly yeah. guiding me. Yeah. Was this something that 
while you were studying, you were kind of getting open to it or was it the lack of sleep that was a catalyst? The very first catalyst was studying and reading and choosing to be open-minded about it. But then because I couldn't sleep, I actually decided to not finish uni at the time. Mm -hmm. And also I got a job offer overseas to go to Italy. So I decided to drop out of uni and go to Italy instead. And... Yeah. So you didn't sleep in Italy? No, I didn't sleep in Italy. But I have amazing experiences in Italy though. I started what they call, I don't know if it was astral traveling or some type of out-of-body experience. I had that in Italy all the time. I was living in a in an apartment and I was in the attic part of the apartment. So in that little apex. And I was I often had this experience where I was That sounds like, very cool, by the way. It, it was so cool. It was so cool. Out my window, I could see like the Duomo in the centre of town, this amazing Duomo in Milan, which has this incredible Gothic architecture that took about 150 years to build. Wow. So I'd be lying in in bed and I'd have this feeling in my body like of incredible relaxation. So I just felt like so relaxed, like it's just awesome. And then I suddenly had this urge to roll over and I thought I'm going to actually roll over and hit the floor because I was in a single bed. I'm going to roll over and hit the floor, but I don't care. I'm so floppy right now. Like, I don't even care if I hit the floor. (laughs) But then I wouldn't. I'd roll out of my body and then I'd just go whoosh through the floor. And I'd be like, whoa. And I'd be out of my body and I could choose where I wanted to go in the world. Like sometimes like I'd often come back to Australia, go, okay, I want to go to Australia. And I'd feel like the whole world would rotate. Rotate. The whole planet would rotate and all of a sudden I'd be in Australia. I mean, the very first time it happened, I was scared. I was like, what is going on? And as soon as I thought I was scared, I popped back in my body. Mm. But then the second time it happened, I was started a mantra in my mind. I kept on saying, all is love, all is love, all is love. And I just stayed out and then I got used to it and I was able to do it more often and choose where I want to go. (laughs) So how clear is the vision? When is it like being in a dream? It's very clear. Like the first time I remember... Fly into the next room and tell me what's written on a piece of paper. I don't know. Maybe I could have, but I... I, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to understand what astral travel is like. Well, I used to travel back to Australia quite mm. a lot because when I left for Italy, I only spent two hours packing my suitcase. Like I said, I was always socialising. Yeah, Catching yeah. up with friends in the last two hours before I had to go to the airport. I did not think about what I'm packing. I didn't check what the weather's going to be like in Italy. <laughs> I got to Italy I'm like, oh my God, it's freezing over here. <laughs> and so I used to wish like I'd brought all my warm clothes. Yeah, yeah. And so when I astral traveled, I went and I packed my suitcase in my, in my astral travel state. Yeah. And when I came back, when I was in back in Italy, I was looking around for my clothes because I could have sworn that I'd brought them all with me. <laughs> oh, okay. So like when you astral travel, you're in a sort of state as well. Yeah. Okay. So you feel like like you're in a dream? Kind of, yeah. But yeah? it almost feels more clear than a dream sort of. Okay. Because you have like you control take, over you, it. You take it for granted and you just go with it. Mm. But you're not thinking to yourself, whoa, I wonder. And you're not, you're not getting all scientific about it. No, I think like your astral body is a bit different to your physical body. So right. when you're in your astral body, you do your astral things. Okay. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So you've had quite a few of these sort of experiences. Mm, yeah. Um, have you had many or any dark experiences yeah. when it comes to spiritual things? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've had experiences where I don't feel quite safe, especially like being out of my body and I felt like there's other energies around. Uh-huh. And sometimes I've been a bit afraid because I'm not sure what's going on. I've sort of had, sometimes I've had warnings about like, be careful mm-hmm. where you're going, what you're doing, who you're meeting. But I think sometimes I experience heavy energies when it's like this meant to be a block. And also I do feel that there are sort of 
spirits are people who have departed, who are sort of like a, a bit lost, who haven't gone to the light. Yeah. And they're around and they can attach to you when you're really open and you don't know what you're doing when you're opening up to the spirit world as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when they come in, they can kind of give you their negativity and negative thoughts. Right. So it's just like a scary, unsettling feeling. Yeah, like you can be like really happy and then suddenly feel a bit depressed and like yeah. go, what? What is happening? Like, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When actually it's not your energy, it's like an energy from, it's coming from somewhere else. Right. Mm. Yeah, I feel like I'm quite sensitive to that personally. Mm-hmm. Like if there's someone that has a type of vibe, I feel these days especially a strong reaction. Mm-hmm. Every now and then there's a, a person I come across. Mm. They're so friendly. They're so lovely. And we talk for maybe 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm just like inside of me, I'm so desperate to get away from them. I feel like I'm being drained, like literally like they're, they're draining something from me. Yeah. And it just feels negative. But they're so lovely. Yeah. Well, I think you can get like um, negative energy from all different sorts of people and, right. and it's very unconscious as well. So they mm. might not be aware of it. And, and I think also sometimes negative entities um, are attracted to people who have a lot of light. Right. So you can You're saying I have a lot of light. <laughs> Maybe the people, those lovely people that you're talking to as well have a lot of light and so there's negative energies attracted to them and you're picking up on their, their yeah. energies that are around them. Yeah. Have you ever had any truly terrifying experiences? Not really. Like I have bad so, dreams. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But not with spirit, no. That's really good. Yeah, I mean, I've had truly, with- truly terrifying experiences in real life, but when I've been mm. helped by spirit... Like they've helped me escape from a situation that was life-threatening. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the human condition is like a battle of good versus evil. Mm -hmm. And I just assume that in the spiritual realm, it's the same thing where you have good and you have Mm -hmm. evil, if you want to use that word, and you have conspiracy. You have all sorts of different types of things that it would be hard to know like unless you're really really fluent in spirituality or in that world it'd be hard to pick up on yeah well i have i do believe i've had encounters with demon energy okay. a fair bit um and when that's around it's very heavy right and very destructive mm-hmm. can make it, you feel really angry and agitated can you describe that a bit more like um, maybe if you can think of a specific yeah well Recently, I was in Byron Bay, we had the horrible floods and yeah. I was part of a healing day for, for flood victims. And so there's four or five of us who were doing healing on people. And afterwards, I felt incredibly unwell and I had a really bad shoulder pain and I thought I wouldn't be out of work all week. I, was mm-hmm. in, I never had that much pain before. And my friend, he was one of the healers, said to me, how are you feeling after that? I said, I'm not feeling good. She goes, yeah, we've all been attacked by lots of demon energy from a lot of these people or a lot of the flood victims had these demon energy around them um, unconsciously on their behalf, but we attracted it all to us. Like, because their floods were so hard and people were like in life and death situations and crying out for help and feeling really depressed and... They just attracted like a lot of demon energy to them. Like demons come pretending to be helpful but not and they like to see human suffering. And anyway, so I had a clearing with a lady um, who cleared all my demons and I had like 33 demons or something crazy. (laughs) And afterwards I felt so much better. And she goes, yeah, have you been having any thoughts, like any dark thoughts, you know, feeling really angry and vengeful, depressed, even like suicidal, all those types of thoughts. It's not actually coming from you. It's coming from demon energy 
So just like let all that go because it's not you. And it just made a lot of sense because like, I felt so much better after it was all cleared away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just felt like I was back to my normal self again. And it's right. like, yeah, because I, I, don't, I don't know why I would otherwise be thinking those dark thoughts, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not when I feel happy with my life. So. <laughs> so, so when you were trying to heal people, mm-hmm. would you say, are there any reactions that happen? Like what would happen with the um, where people start writhing around or? No, there was nothing like exorcisms. that. exorcisms? I yeah. think like in Byron, I think people are fairly open and mm-hmm. there's kind of quite a common sense of spirituality there. Right. So people are fairly open to all sorts of healing and stuff there. So I haven't really done an environment where people believe in mm you know, being possessed and all that type of stuff. I think people's belief systems has a really strong part in their experience, you know, like like if people believe that they're going to have this reaction when they have something cleared away from them, then they will, you know, Mm -hmm. because they hold, they're really attached to that idea. When I did the healing session, Byron, it was just very kind of gentle and people just felt lighter afterwards Mm -hmm. and happier and more calm. Yeah. Yeah. The other night we met up, we haven't caught up in probably 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And you, you brought out a little device. It was like a little white square. Oh, it looks yeah. like there's a chip reader or a square, you know, like yeah. an FTPOS thing. Yeah. And you put it in my palm mm-hmm. and from an app on your phone, Yeah. you did a scan. Yeah. And can you describe that to me? Yeah. So that's a bioresonance frequency device. Bioresonance. Frequency. Bioresonance. Okay. Yeah. So it scans you and scans your frequencies and that reading that we did was an aura reading so it was scanning your chakras and showing how much energy you have in your chakras in that present moment Mm -hmm. and also what blockages you have in those chakras and gave you sort of a description of what the blockages were so that device was created by um, a german quantum physicist with a team big team of quantum physicists Mm -hmm. and scientists and who have studied frequencies for decades and so they, everything has a frequency um, all the cells in the body have frequencies all the organs different states of being have frequency like sadness etc and also happiness and, mm-hmm. and different states of health have different frequencies so they've measured all of those frequencies I mean they're sure there's many more to measure in the body but they've measured thousands and thousands of them so they can pick up your frequencies and and tell you about them and also send you frequencies to help come to the optimal frequency for your body okay and your body and your soul and your spirit (laughs) right so it can give you like just a quick diagnostic it's not diagnostic we don't use diagnostic because we don't use medical terms with it all right yeah i suppose you've got to be careful with that too Yeah, yeah yeah you do it just gives you a reading okay yeah interesting (laughs) <laughs> and so you told me that based on those readings mm-hmm. that you could give me a healing. So could you go into that a bit? Like, Well, the device sends healing frequencies to you. So you can get a healing from the device. That's right. It sort of transmitted some yeah. frequencies, right? Yeah. And also from what it said, like it said some things, I can't remember now, but it said some things like maybe about your dad or your mom, mm-hmm. things about you and authority, mm-hmm. I know different behavior patterns. I can do healings on those as well. Just tune in to each one and find if there's any emotions that you have that are creating this pattern and, and I can is, clear those out. That is, that's Reiki. Um, the technique right. I use called the emotion code. The emotion code? Yeah, emotion code and body code. Yeah. Okay. That's, so that's separate to Reiki? Yeah, separate to Reiki. Right. Yeah. Is it similar though? Yeah, similar. Okay, what would be the difference? When you have Reiki, you are receiving an energy that helps you to be more in touch with your inner self and your feelings, your body. So say, for example, you know you should drink water, but you don't. 
And yeah. having a Reiki session can bring into your awareness more things that you need to do for yourself. So you might feel like, oh, I'm going to drink more water now. I can feel it in my body. So it sort of activates your own self-healing. Okay. Reiki. Yeah. So you offered to do a healing. And could you describe that? So what do I do is I tune in um, using kinesiology. Mm-hmm. I do like a muscle test on myself for you. Okay. Or I could muscle test you as well. Yep. And then I would just find an emotion that you have been holding in your body, like a negative emotion. And I would use some magnets and I'd run them either down your back of your spine or on my own as a proxy for you. Mm-hmm. And I would just clear that emotion away. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So I originally agreed to it. Mm-hmm. And then I told you just before that, <laughs> that I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Which kind of comes to the next part. Look, I feel like my own personal path... Mm-hmm. I don't really have as much of a defined word for it. Mm-hmm. But I've, over the recent years, have come to learn that I have to follow my instincts. Mm-hmm. And I feel personally really strong about it. It's been quite an exciting experiment, actually, mm-hmm. to go along with certain things, mm-hmm. to be more open to a lot of things, and to also pass up things as well. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about it, I was quite excited. But something in me was like, you don't need to do this. Mm-hmm. And I just felt at peace with that. And I just decided I'm not going to do it. And that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't really understand. But like, yeah, I mean, it's a bit disappointing because I, I would have liked to even do it over the podcast. But I don't know. Like, I just do what I feel like. Yeah. When I, when I feel like it. <laughs> I find like with the healing work that I do, like it's come from doing massage therapy. So the technique of the emotion code was developed by a chiropractor to um, help relax muscles. And I find when I'm massaging a body that if I've massaged certain tight muscle and it hasn't released, like I've given it quite a few strokes, like three or four strokes and it's not changing whatsoever, I often tune in and find out if there's an emotion that the muscle is holding onto. And most of the time, probably like 80% of the time at least, or higher, I find that the muscle tightness is coming from an emotion. So I ask my client if I can clear an emotion for them, and I do, and then you can instantly feel the muscle relax. And I think that when you challenge yourself physically whether it's like you know doing some sort of stretching or some type of exercise like for me personally it's like yoga pilates different things then i feel how my body's feeling and then i'm like oh actually i feel like i do need to release some emotions and and some stuff but i think often we can go through life in our heads and not be really in touch with our bodies and so we don't necessarily sure. feel like we I, I need... I think I've lived like that in my life, yeah. <laughs> We need any healing or anything like that because we're just really headstrong about everything. <laughs> yeah. mm. Like we were saying before, like your spiritual experience depends so much on your religion, I guess. It yeah. can be very different for different people. Yeah. yeah. I think religion, unfortunately, can be limiting for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think whatever faction that you are, there are factions within that faction. Yeah. <laughs> and some people have absolute strict rules. Like, are you uh, vegan or vegetarian? No. Yeah. I think maybe a lot of people in Byron Bay would be Yeah, vegan, definitely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You see a lot of um, house share ads saying, must be a vegan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the... More than anywhere else I've ever seen. <laughs> Once I stayed at a friend's house and he's a vegan. I was 18. Or, yeah, I was 18 at the time. And I was like, okay, cool. I thought each to their own type of thing. Mm-hmm. I brought some sausages over. Yep. And I started cooking them. And I think he almost wanted to punch me in the face because <laughs> it's like he was staying up in the loft section. And yep. just like the smell of it was just hitting him in the face. Yeah. 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 So why would you be a non-vegan or non-vegetarian as opposed to 
vegetarian? Uh, just from personal experience from different diets, I have tried being vegan mm -hmm. and vegetarian and just my energy levels and my body doesn't really respond very well. Okay. I just find I have more energy eating meat. I mean, it is something, you know, not like 100% comfortable with seeing animals slaughtered, for example. Yeah. And I do try to eat grass-fed, organic from animals that have had a good life, which is easy to do in Byron Bay. Um, try to find, you know, free range and, and all that. Um, whenever I feel guilty about eating meat, I watch like nature documentaries where all the animals are eating each other. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I just see how like it is kind of part of life. And it's cruel. It's, it's really, nature is really cruel. Yeah. In, in one sense, like from a human perspective. Yeah, and I guess that can inform your perspective of, the, of life and the universe, you know, okay. um, as well. So some people like don't want to have any cruelty, to see any cruelty, so they choose to be vegan, which I understand. And another part of me thinks, well, life is developed this way naturally, and you know maybe we're here to experience dark and light on Earth because there is like both. We need the, we need the balance of both to learn and yeah. to evolve. Yeah, for for a little while. I tried the vegan lifestyle mm -hmm. and I did try and think a lot about the ethics behind farming, which to this day, it's still like pretty horrible, but like just trying to figure out how to be a good person. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So one other thing I remember when we met, it's like 18 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, you told me, cause you were quite open about it. Yep. <laughs> and you're totally comfortable with everyone's skepticism, which uh -huh. I admired a lot. Because uh -huh. <laughs> especially as a Christian, I was quite ashamed of my beliefs. All oh, right. Just because it's like, um, especially back then, everyone was a lot more atheist. Mm -hmm. But you said at one point, which I found amazing. Yeah. You're like, yeah, I believe in mermaids and Bigfoot. And you went through kind of a list like fairies and all these mythical animals mm -hmm. that... <laughs> That I knew in my heart, especially back then, I knew that none of these things exist. I heard <laughs> the, the reasons of why they came into existence. Like, you know how people say that manatees were the reason why people thought that, you know, lonely sailors out in the sea, they'll see a manatee and it will remind them of a woman. Mm -hmm. So they come back telling everyone stories. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the narrative I accepted. Like I found that you find comfort in, in just trusting people who come across the most scientific. Mm -hmm. So... I want you to tell me a bit more about that. Well, I think, you know, being in the altered state for many years and astral travelling, whatever you call it, <laughs> I would see lots of different things that aren't necessarily three-dimensional. And so my perspective of reality isn't just like the 3D. Something there's deeper, an internal like, world that you can have access to. Like spiritual And beings, there's different, lots, of, lots of different dimensions. Yeah. Oh, okay. So when I'd see different things... It wouldn't necessarily be in this dimension, but they would be in another dimension, but their dimension would be as valid as ours, even though ours feels so real while we're in it. I was just very open-minded to lots of different things. I think there's so many things in our narrative of our history, like ancient Egypt and stuff, which just aren't true. Like there's so many things that archaeologists just block out just to fit a certain narrative. Yeah. Like there's so many things in ancient Egypt that just show that. Very have you heard of Graham Hancock? Yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah, he's got a series on Netflix and basically exactly what you're describing. Yeah, like there's all these evidence over there that the technology was really, really advanced. You know, it doesn't come from like a primitive yeah. space. And so it doesn't even make sense to me that we've just had apes and we've evolved and that's the only race that's been on earth i think there's been visitations and there's been interminglings of different races from different planets yeah 
and there's all different sorts of things that exist in the universe besides so human beings. It, so it's not you necessarily saying, yes, they're real, but you're, but yes, you're open to well, it. Well, real if you mean like... Physical. From like 3D. Three, yeah. If you're saying that's all that reality is, then that's true for you, but I don't think that's what reality is. <laughs> no, well, it's kind of strange to admit, but like I'm starting to believe in Bigfoot and, <laughs> and even mermaids. Mm. Especially with TikTok these days, there's no filter really mm. like there used to be. Mm-hmm. If there's someone that has a story, they're looking at the camera and you're basically looking into their eyes. They're telling a story of what they saw. And then another person on another TikTok is going to be saying something that really correlates to it. Yeah. You know, the same with people who've come across reptilians. Yeah. What's always been told to me, okay, reptilians were invented by this dude, David Icke. So ignore <laughs> it. And that's kind of what I accepted. Yeah. But there are way too many accounts and, and bits of footage that are from different parts of the world. Yeah. That I mean, I'm a video editor, so I know what it takes to... Yeah, to create a fake one. Yeah, to create fake stuff. And, and there's so much fake stuff out there. I yeah. think it's, it's people who are just trying to show off their skills and get excited knowing that they make people... Believe fall, in something, yeah, believe and, in something. But, and laugh at them. <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of stuff I've seen mm. that I'm just like... That's, yeah. that's too crazy. Who would waste their money and energy of creating that video? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one phenomenon that I've witnessed is that I'll see something that looks real and then someone makes like a crappy computerized version of it. Mm-hmm. And they'll put it out there. And so it feels like... It kind of debunks it in a way? Yeah. 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 But they're not trying to debunk it. Mm. It's almost like... Yeah. It's like the powers at Bego, oh shit, um, someone's got footage of that thing. Let's quickly whip up another one. Yeah. That's debunkable. Well, people are very attached to their ideas and their belief systems. So yeah. if someone doesn't want to believe in any of that stuff, they'll find all the stuff that supports their belief. Yeah. And yeah, you can easily find that. And then they'll just ignore all the other stuff that doesn't support their belief. <laughs> but I mean, I guess the more grand point that I'm trying to make mm-hmm. is that I suspect spiritual knowledge and the power that comes with it and also the personal freedoms that we can get from it have been understood by people higher up mm-hmm. and they've been wanting to control it and restrict us from it. Yeah, absolutely. And part of that is trying to control the like alien narrative or trying to yeah. control the, yeah, even the big narrative. Or trying narrative. to even like in China, not letting them do Qigong and stuff like that. <laughs> What's All that? These- the Chinese government doesn't let people practice qigong in China. What, what is or that? is it qigong? Or sorry, is it another one? It's like um, exercises for the body that bring energy oh, into the body. Tai, tai Chi, chi yeah. qigong. There's another one. I've forgotten the name. Yeah, is, but that, is that what the Falun Gong do? Yeah, maybe something like yeah. the Falun Gong. Like, okay. yeah, just allowing people to access all the energy with, within them and the the knowledge within them as well. Yeah. Like when anyone meditates long enough, you're going to eventually have an awakening I think yeah. like, that's what happened to me I just have awakenings from meditating because I couldn't sleep I was forced to meditate for six years every day yeah. and then I accessed all this information that I wouldn't have otherwise if I got about my daily mundane life yeah. I think we all have access to that inside us if we meditate if we choose to meditate and there's so many tools to help you meditate these days and tools to go within <laughs> like what do you mean Oh, just like YouTube videos and oh, okay yeah yeah yeah. yeah yeah like so many people out there helping people yeah. Yeah, like courses and all sorts of stuff. Books. That's really true. In fact, I've been tempted a few times to go down the rabbit hole <laughs> just because of YouTube and, and other yeah. things like that. Like, you know, the whole men who stare at goats and, and not astral projecting, what's it? Remote viewing. Oh, yeah. So apparently there are a few people that claim that you can actually learn how to remote view, that anyone can learn it. Yeah. Just kind of like 
the way you just said that anyone that meditates enough will have an awakening. Mm-hmm. They claim that if you practice certain things enough, you'll be able to learn remote viewing. Mm. And I've seen videos of people allegedly achieving this yeah. from, from nothing to being working out. Yeah, there's, oh, like, there's, there's courses for we're it. We're so really. powerful. But we just ignore it because we're all like in survival mode, trying to make money, trying to pay our rent, trying to pay our mortgage, yeah. looking after our family and thinking we need to have this and this and this and this because mm. that's our culture. Yeah. But we have so much more power inside us. Yeah. We don't access. A lot of people just are starting to access it and open up and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. Tell me one of the most mind-blowing potentials that you think humans have. I think like the power of, of knowing what's going to happen. What? Precognitive or just yeah. understanding the universe? Precognitive, like listening. Really? Yeah. Have you ever had any precognitive Yeah, heaps and heaps of them. Really? Give me some <laughs> yeah. examples. I mean, don't you? Precognitive, like, okay, give me your definition. Um, for a while I was having precognitive experiences of world events, okay. like the World Trade Towers, Tsunami. Yeah. Sometimes I just know, like when my work was in a fire, I knew the day before... I dreamt about it that night and I decided to go to work early that morning and I got a phone call saying, can you come to work early? We've been in a fire and I'm like, I'm already on my way. Just, you know, down to my normal life. But just, yeah, big things to small things. Yeah. Mm. Is there anything currently that hasn't come to pass yet that you feel will come to pass? You mean for the world at large? Or the world at small? (laughs) Yeah, I've had feelings about myself as well, like my, in my own personal life, what's going to happen. Yeah. But yeah, it's just that it becomes normal after a while. Okay. You just kind of know what's going to happen the next day. Could you compare it to deja vu, where it's like either a Not thought a or a dream or something? And yeah. then when it happens, you're like, ah, oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's been studies that show about the heart. You know, the heart has a much stronger magnetic field than the brain. I've read some studies saying it's like 5,000 times stronger, some a 1,000 times stronger. I'm not sure the exact data, the exact factual number. But the heart knows things much earlier than the brain does because it has a much stronger magnetic field. Yeah. They did a study, I saw this recently on a documentary, where they would bring out images, like nice images and then pleasant images, like babies and flowers and things and then war and other famine and other unpleasant images. And the heart would change before the image was even presented because it already knew what the image was going to be because the heart can sense things much more quickly than our brain. Okay. So if we start to think with our hearts more, I think we'd know a lot more about what's going to come up than we do with our minds. That's weird, isn't it? Well, we say it's weird, but it's actually also normal. Well, to me, it's, to me it's weird. And I it, mean, could, like, it could it, become it, more and more normal if people just accepted it. Well, I mean, let's define normal. I think that people call what is scientifically discovered as normal, right? Mm-hmm. So what's already been discovered is science and that's normal. And even if it is one day going to be considered part of science, we don't accept that as normal yet. Yeah. It's funny. It's a bit frustrating. I mean, it's a slow process. It's kind of reliable. But I think that there is an arrogance with science where it's only based on what it already knows. And that's the only universe that exists. Mm-hmm which is restricted to what we already know. Mm. And anything outside of that, it's not worth looking into for a lot of people who consider themselves having a, a scientific mind because yeah. there's a few too many steps, like quantum steps, yeah. that they have to take to reach that point. But I have a suspicion that one day, all of these mechanisms that you're describing 
mm-hmm. will one day be a part of science. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. And then we're going to find a way to capitalize it, and we'll have karma farms. And <laughs> I think also for human potential that if people start listening to themselves and receiving more divine guidance, they would make different choices about their career and what they create in the world. Yeah. And you'd see a lot more creativity and a lot more things that make people feel really happy and comfortable and safe. If people really knew themselves, they wouldn't probably want to go to war. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like, you know, I'm talking like huge changes that would be in humanity. But I think that's the way the um, humanity is evolving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We're well, it's, evolving it, it, to a more spiritual... I feel like it's becoming more polarised, for sure. So mm-hmm. I think there's probably a part of humanity that is becoming more evolved. Mm-hmm. And there's another part that is very focused on earthly power mm-hmm. and control. Yeah. And it's becoming more extreme on that side too. Yeah, well, have you heard about like 5D and 3D? How there was a period of time, um, just recently that passed, where the world sort of splits into 3D and 5D. 5D is more spiritually evolved and 3D is hanging on to the old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, there is stronger polarity now happening. You hear about what's happening in South Korea mm-hmm. and China. It's amazing the lengths that people in power go to and the way they treat humans so horribly just to have their political power. You've got 20 years left to live. Mm. And you're going to try and get as much power as you possibly can just so you lose it at the point of your death. Yeah. It's quite amazing. I think there's like lots of dark forces and positive light forces on Earth. And the dark shows the light what it is, really. And it shows people what they really want. They know they definitely don't want that. (laughs) Yeah. So it shows them the way that they do want to be. And not for you, you can't learn that without the dark. Yeah. Like they say, like in the spirit realm, like when you pass over and you're in the other dimensions, it's just like peace, but people don't feel a lot of different emotions. It's the sort of less emotions that we feel on Earth because there is dark on Earth. So we come down to experience life on Earth, to experience the dark and experience the light so we know yeah. what we want to do with the light. I, yeah, I profoundly feel that. Mm. So speaking of evolution, going back again to when I first met you to now, mm-hmm. the whole time I've known you, you've been very spiritual. What did you kind of do before that you don't do now? Because oh. you've always been like mm-hmm. very new age. And I'm I just thinking think... after a couple of decades, how is your journey as, as kind of, I guess, a new age? I think um, working with bodywork and healing has shaped me a lot. And it's kind of made everything coherent for me. All the studies that I've done, like when I met you, I was really into quantum physics, which I still am now. Yeah. But now I use quantum physics in healing. So before, when I was younger, I didn't know what I was going to do with the knowledge about quantum physics. Like, how is it going to assist the world? What am I going to do with my life knowing about quantum physics? Yeah. And now I use quantum physics products. I yeah. do quantum distance healing. So it's just sort of more integrated into my life, I guess. And it's given me a really happy, satisfying vocation. And also it informs like my creativity and what I want to create and different things I want to do moving forward like in films I want to make, in businesses, in products I want to make. So I sort of now feel at the point where I've gathered all this experience and knowledge and I want to create my own business. What you're saying is that like that was more learning and collecting information Mm. and now you can see the utility with all the knowledge that you have. Yeah. I guess before like I used to sort of feel a bit maybe more lost about what I want to do with everything and now... I feel like I've met so many like-minded people and people doing similar th- things I w- that I want to do. Yeah. So I feel more like rounded and 
safe and like that it's viable and sustainable mm. and doable. <laughs> so, well, especially over east, like where you're based. Yeah, I think also everywhere. Like I think people in Perth, it's a lot of people, lot people in Perth secretly crave a lot of more spirituality in their mundane lives as well. True. <laughs> oh, that's true. The age where people can just be staunch cynics when it comes to this, it's coming to an end mm. because the market for it is getting smaller and smaller. For cynics? So, yeah, for cynics and skeptics. <laughs> they're going to have to find new narratives yeah. because people want to find out things for themselves. And what they're basically saying is, no, don't. Don't waste your time. Yeah. When it's like, no, try everything, you know? Yeah, and also I think like with quantum healing, like frequency therapy and stuff, like that's been around for decades and decades, but it's been suppressed. Yeah. But more people are discovering it, rediscovering it and finding how amazing it is and how quickly you can have healing and how you can heal all sorts of things that they say aren't possible with conventional medicine. Yeah. People will just want naturally to, to, to do that. Everyone wants to be healthy. No one wants to be sick. And this information has been there forever. Like it's ancient information and the science has also been there for decades yeah. and it's just going to eventually come out, especially with recent times where there's been forced vaccinations and shutdown, lockdown and everything. I think people now are going yeah. to definitely seek out alternatives to the mainstream narrative. Not everyone, but a lot of people are now, yeah. especially because it's been right in their face about how strong the pharmaceutical companies are, how much power they have. And it's definitely got its own purpose to help shift us to the opposite of what the pharmaceutical companies want, actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they definitely want to find some expensive way to do simple things. Yeah. I mean, I grew up with my mother teaching me a lot of home remedy stuff mm -hmm. that I can't believe some people would get medication for. Like when you burn yourself, just put honey straight on that. Yeah. Aloe vera. Just stuff that's, I guess, more popular now. But Yeah, because we've all sort of been deceived into thinking we need all this stuff and, like, we've never been healthier. I mean, with all the rates of, like, depression and heart attacks and all sorts of stuff going on, ADHD and kids and all these things, it doesn't seem that way, you know? Mm. And so I think people are going to wake up and that's going to be because a lot of people start sharing this information. And yeah, like I've been on devices where I've had a flu and then it's gone in 10 minutes straight away. Wow. And had lots of things heal on these devices actually. And who doesn't want that? Like mm. just yeah. the pharmaceutical companies don't want it, but which normal human being doesn't want that? Doesn't want to get over their sickness really quickly or get over their disease really quickly. Yeah. It opens a can of worms for people as well because they're like, well, if that's real, then I have to start considering my whole paradigm. Yeah, exactly. Which is like such a huge pain. It's so much easier to be like, okay, this is what I believe in and this is where I'm going to stay. And if the other side has their things going on, well. Well, I think so. But I think people will want to have a different paradigm when they realize how good it is. The new paradigm is much better and healthier. and That may be so, but it's traumatic to unbelieve and to feel the betrayal of your upbringing. And it can be very hard, especially people who are quite set in their ways. I mean, I know this from experience because like I grew up in a certain church and I had certain beliefs and a lot of bits of dogma here and there and certain rules, which it took me a while to understand that they're absolute human constructs. Mm -hmm. And the feeling I felt, the feeling of just sheer frustration and anger from realizing these things, it's something that I think a lot of people can't it takes it takes a lot of maturity to be able to approach it properly yeah without it just being like blind anger and creating something negative from discovering something positive well that's where like the healing technique i do could come in handy <laughs> for you <laughs> because you can actually clear emotions really quickly yeah you can clear emotions with a magnet from your fridge 
If everyone knew how easy it is to clear emotions, the world would be a different place. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. You could tune in and go, what emotions do I have about being lied to that such yeah. and such is real? And then you can clear them all and they'll just go. They'll be gone. But I kind of enjoy the processing part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't mean it's all going to happen quickly. Like I've been clearing my emotions nearly every day for more than a decade right. and I still have stuff to clear. Yeah. It's just, it's like a tool, but it's. But I know that I can approach anything and not be afraid of the emotions I'm going to feel about it Yeah. because you can work through it it takes a long time so like my attitude is the sooner you start the better (laughs) 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 and yeah it is but it's also I don't know it's sort of freeing when you realize that a lot of stuff isn't true because a lot of those limiting things was kind of holding you back anyway Hmm. yeah it's it's complicated Mm. that's for sure but that kind of goes back to what I was talking about before where I've enjoyed the process of seeing where my life goes i've enjoyed gaining experiences mm-hmm. in, in the way that i have i, I feel so at peace yeah like if i was someone who was suffering mm-hmm. that's when i feel like i'd choose to reach out to it but i feel i feel a peacefulness in just the existence i have where something comes along and i try to work it off and i feel like i've got the presence of mind or self-awareness to get through it like I don't feel like it's something that I necessarily have to get healed like Mm -hmm. right now Mm -hmm. I could be wrong Mm -hmm. I I could be wrong but I feel that Uh, as of right now yeah definitely I think it's up to people's personal choice when they want to do something like healing or, or whatever yeah and also when people are ready for it and often it's like uh, it's when you have a challenge in life something isn't going your way that that's when you often seek answers and seek alternatives but when you're in a comfort zone yeah people don't really seek other answers or try different things yeah yeah what we're describing and what we're talking about feels almost like a i hate to use the word manipulation but it's like a type of it could be seen as a manipulation or an exploitation i'm trying to find a non-bad word mm-hmm. for working with something spiritual and trying to move it in a way that suits what you want. Ah, uh, do you mean with healing? Yeah, with healing or even anything that is like prayer or witchcraft or any any type of spiritual work. Is there a point where it goes too far? Um, yeah, of course. We're all powerful creators. Like we all create things with our minds. So people focus on doing things for their own benefit and not for other people's benefit that are going to harm other people would be destructive. Yeah, of course it can go that way. We all have choices and we can all choose what we want to do. So we can choose to do good things for ourselves, good, good things for other people, or we can choose to do the opposite. So we all, we all have that choice. We've all got um, free will. Yeah. But when it comes to healing, for example, yeah. like what, the work I do is clearing emotions. Mm-hmm. And emotions come from our organs. They're just primal. We all have them. So releasing an emotion is just releasing like an energy block. So it's not even really belonging to any religion. Yeah. It's, um, it's just about energy and freeing up negative energy so more positive energy can flow through. And that isn't really even about religion. I mean... When we do the technique, we do call on spirit to help, but you can call on any type of anything you believe in, whatever God you believe in, whatever higher power. It just helps to have some higher power in the process. But it's just about organs and energy and body. Like I've worked on all different sorts of people. I've massaged hundreds of thousands of people mm-hmm. in the last 20 years from all different sorts of backgrounds and clear all sorts of emotions. And it's nothing to do with their religious beliefs whatsoever. It's just about tension in the body. Yeah. Mm. Like I was saying before, it's something that's scientific that 
maybe hasn't been discovered yet. Well, it has been. like. Or like is, in, is not mainstream yet. But I guess they just don't have the instruments to measure emotions because they're invisible at the moment. I mean, maybe they do have the capacity to see emotions in the brain, etc. But maybe yeah. not really specific, like they don't see resentment or, mm-hmm. you know, all the emotions specifically to see where they are in the body and what they're doing to the body, don't mm-hmm. have the tools. I guess the more that there's quantum instruments out there, the more that they can see the small things that will become possible. Do you think that one day the knowledge could be so well understood that it gets controlled like anything else, like medicine? No, because if you're clearing negative emotions, you're just going to feel good and feel happy. There's nothing negative that can come from it. Okay, let's say that I'm a businessman Mm -hmm. and I recruit or I procure a whole bunch of really talented spirit workers, like light workers or, or healers, and I make a business, right? So individually... They're all good workers and they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But me as a businessman, the business grows and the response gets better and better and it gets more and more refined and it becomes just like a, a powerful industry. And then I'm still treating all of the work as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of like now advertising mm-hmm. and I'm pricing out the competition and I'm doing all these things. That's, that's kind of what I'm talking about. I don't think that would happen, to be honest, because I think when people are healers when people have awareness of of their own ability to heal it's very very empowering okay and so it becomes too hard to manipulate people like that okay so i think people healers wouldn't join this so-called business because it wouldn't align with their values wouldn't align with what they want to do they don't have different ways of approaching healing it couldn't be homogenized you know done in one certain way just to benefit one person not with genuine healers yeah, because I just feel that even if you're a genuine healer and there's like a chain that approaches you and say, look, we'd love to have you on a, as one of our franchisees. Um, let's say the world takes all this stuff very seriously. So there's a huge demand for people like yourself and you get good insurance and dental and all that sort of stuff. And from your side of things, it's totally above board. But from the up top business side of things, they're doing the same business manipulation and extortion and exploitation from their level. Is that a possibility? I guess everything is a possibility in life, but right. I, I don't see that as being okay. a strong possibility. Because the world is online these days, uh-huh. people can work for themselves easily. Yeah. You can work from your house. You can do distance healing. You, do, yeah. you can heal someone from in Mexico, from Australia. So there's not really that much need to work for someone who's going to pay for all the other things. If you are really good at healing and you tap into all the quantum things, you don't necessarily need as much medical care, like dental care and all those types of things either. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> <That> <laughs> so makes sense. You, don't, you don't need all, all the insurance and all the overhead expenses. You can literally do healing from at home, using your hands, using a few simple things. I guess the only thing I could offer you is very very materialistic that's the only thing well i think when people like are in, could offer are in like a healing vibration or spiritual vibration there's ability to tap into abundance and when people tap into abundance frequencies yeah they tend to have everything that they want they tend to have a nice place yeah tend to have good clients they tend to have the money that they need so would you say a red flag of a disingenuous spiritual worker mm-hmm. would be like them being overly business-minded could that be a no, red I wouldn't flag? say overly business-minded, no. Okay. I would just say if you wanted to like really narrow something down into being really strict and having really strict protocols, I think most people that I know, that wouldn't work for them because every session that they do is intuitive. 
Yeah. So to have someone come to them, but they're an individual and they'll tune into what they think they need. So maybe there's a certain protocol, but they might say, I'm not going to do the protocol today because I think you need this and we can do this for you. And they'll just be intuitive about it. It'd be much more free-flowing and intuitive. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so there's something fundamental that goes against that. Yeah, like healing can't be a product that is just replicated and stamped and exactly the same every single time. It's completely individual because people are individuals. People have ancestral stuff. They've got so many different things going on that no one is the same. Yeah. I guess maybe that wasn't the best example. (laughs) Maybe an example of it is like a cult where it starts off as something great that attracts a lot of people, that has a lot of truth, mm-hmm. like Osho and all those people. And, and basically all of these cults, they have a, a pure beginning mm-hmm. and they have a real helpful element to them. And then suddenly something happens mm-hmm. where they monetize it. They put a business model behind something spiritual and then it kind of corrupts itself. Yeah, well, I think in any situation where you're giving your power away to someone else, like putting someone else up as your guru someone being more spiritual than you, having more spiritual experiences than you do, there's always going to be trouble. (laughs) Really? Yeah. That's something I I never would have expected from you. I kind of would have assumed that you'd always have a guru or someone that you looked up to. No. So so what's your personal philosophy? I have lots of people that I admire, but I think you have to go on your own journey within yourself. We all have the same potential, the same potential to be... A, a saint or as enlightened as anyone else. I mean, yeah. maybe not in this lifetime, yeah. but I don't believe we only have one lifetime. And so I think that, yeah, you're never meant to put anyone else above, above you as being more spiritual than you, as being more gifted or enlightened. Or more holy. Yeah. 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 I mean, to, are, are there's you, some are people obviously... basically that just appreciate or respect your own journey yeah. as its own thing? Focus on yourself and your own journey. Yeah. yeah. I completely agree that with takes, that. <laughs> that takes a lot of energy and attention. Like, we've got right. lots of work to do in ourselves. Right, right. You don't have time to waste on making someone else your guru. And that's kind of just giving you a power, like expecting someone else to help you and cure you and do everything for you. And you're not discovering what's within yourself and your own power within yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's change tracks mm-hmm. a little bit. Aliens. <laughs> this is the big one for me. <laughs> I'm not going to say their name because I don't want their name said, but a mutual friend of ours saw a UFO very close to her one day. Mm-hmm. And you can use her name. I'll just like edit it out. I know who you mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she told me about it and she's never been a liar. She's never been someone to bend the truth. She's very much a reliable person. Yeah. And for someone like that to tell me that they saw a flying saucer outside of their car as they were driving along, mm-hmm. that blew my mind. Mm-hmm. And I had to believe it because it was her. Yeah. And that sort of started this journey for me. Oh, interesting. One of the things, yep. you know, I was definitely open-minded about it. I was already thinking about doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts on aliens? Because I know this is a bit of a big subject for you. <laughs> well, yeah, I definitely believe that there's other races and other planets. So multiple races. Yeah, oh, absolutely. When you think about how big the universe is, it doesn't make oh. any sense that we're the only one with life on it. Uh-huh. I think there's been a lot of alien interaction with Earth, for example, with the, the pyramids of Egypt and all the ancient Egyptian things. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So, yeah, I think that aliens have visited Earth for a long time and they came and they intermingled with the human species and that, that was to help us evolve to so, certain, certain yeah. life on this planet. Right. So I think there's beneficial aliens and I also I think there's 
some aliens that are more negative and they have their own agendas. What would those agendas be? To control, to experiment, to make life go a certain way because they're a bit more cold, they don't have the emotional range that we do on Earth. And That's one thing I've heard a common... Th- Sorry to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. That's a common thing I've heard about reptilians from many different sources that the feeling of love is something that they don't specifically feel. Yeah. Like a lot about creativity, happiness, laughter, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But love is not Not natural for them. Yeah. It's, I mean, it sounds like I feel like a Care Bear talking, <laughs> talking about that. But imagine they being devoid of love. Like that's pretty interesting. <laughs> that is interesting because like, yeah, I mean, you would survive. It's not as if you'd be like necessarily nasty. You'd be more like an animal, I guess. Yeah. I'm sure animals feel love, though. Yeah, I think so. Dogs and cats and our pets, <laughs> we'd say that they do, for sure. Lots of animals, really. Mm. Yeah, I think that people have experiences with UFOs and things to expand their awareness of life, to make them realise there's more to life than what they were previously thinking. Okay. Sometimes they would want to interact with you, like take you off and do experiments on you. I remember you saying that to me when I told you I had a dream. Yeah. That was really real. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they definitely interact with Earth and some of them have really advanced technology as well. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. So I've heard a lot of stuff about Atlanteans and Pleiadians. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people refer to those sort of people when they describe speaking to higher level beings. Mm Mm-hmm. Pleiadians, but I remember you telling me that there is one that's even more ancient or like a mother race to the Pleiadians, which were the Lemurians. Is oh, that... no, actually the Pleiadians were mothers to the Lemurians. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Can you explain that a bit? So from what I've learned so far, and I don't claim to be an expert, a very long time ago, like more than 12,000 years ago, maybe probably longer, maybe 100,000 years ago actually when the Sphinx, Sphinx was created, some races came to the Earth, some from the Pleiadians cluster and there was Lemurians and there was Atlanteans and they both came with galactic information and crystals, etc. And they came to mate with the race that was on the Earth at the time, the Homo sapiens, and it was to help the Homo sapiens to evolve to be a certain way to create life on this planet. Apparently there's been other Earths created, like we're not the first Earth around. And so they came, and when they first came, they kind of went into two different countries. One was Atlantis and one was Lemuria, and they coexisted at the same time. Lemurians were very peaceful and a bit more primitive in the way that they lived. They lived more um, with nature, but they had societies where they would use a lot of sound to create things. They would create structures and buildings and things, and they build incredible structures, and then they would dismantle them and then create something else incredible for another particular purpose. So they have something for a little while and then dismantle and then create something else. And they could do this very quickly. And they'd be very selective about who was born into their population. Like when the soul wanted to come to a mother and father, they would have a look at the constellations and different things to decide whether that was a good match for those parents. And if not, then they wouldn't have that baby. So they'd choose who was going to be born. They wanted to have a really peaceful, harmonious type of society. And they had um, certain crystals that would um, put a big um, frequency around their country so they wouldn't get diseases like flus and viruses and things and they often wouldn't have any sickness. There still be some death from injury and childbirth and things, but not from sicknesses. Yeah. And meanwhile, the Atlanteans developed in a different way where they 
were all about technology and having the most advanced technology. And over time, as the technology got more and more advanced, they became more of a class system society and they'd have a lot of unfairness in their society, like a lot of the wealth at the top, a lot of poor people at the bottom. And they had different viruses and things in Atlantis and they forgot um, about their crystals. So they'd both brought from other planets because they were on the Earth for quite a long time, like quite a few thousands of years. That's enough time to misplace things. Yeah. (laughs) So there came a point when the Atlanteans wanted the red crystals from Lemuria, these crystals that protected them from illness because the Atlanteans had viruses and they had vaccines and the vaccine experiments went awry and there was some kids who were kind of born hybrid with animals and things like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's where like, (laughs) that's where um, mermaids came from. No, I don't think so. I don't think these um, human hybrids were very happy (laughs) and they were sent off to camps apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, to be hidden away from society. Right, so they're these kind of like... Kind of like um, concentration camps where there'd be mass massacres and things like that. Yeah, this is just what I've learned so far. But anyway, um, so there was this time when they tried to steal the red crystals from Lemuria and they killed the queen of Lemuria. They kidnapped the princess of Lemuria. They, they created a massive tidal wave which took over Lemuria. And the Lemurians knew that their time was coming like that. Their mission on Earth was going to sort of have to abort after a while and they encoded all these crystals and put them all around the Earth, which have been discovered recently in the 90s. And these crystals have striations on them, which are like codes. People can run their fingers on them and remember the teachings of Lemuria um, to aid our awakening, which is apparently happening now in this big grand cycle of time. We're having another awakening, another spiritual awakening now. And so the Atlanteans tried to torture the princess of Lemuria, but she was too smart for their torture and they couldn't get any secrets out of her. And then after 50 years or so, she pretended she was going to give them information and then decided to detonate the whole of Atlantis and destroyed it. Um. This sounds exactly like a fantasy novel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, the more I learn about life and and things, the more I think that our imagination is, you know, has a lot of validity to it, where we get all these ideas from, you know, it's in our DNA, it's in our ancestry. And it seems to be like more or less finite, the amount of things that we imagine. You think? Well, yeah. I mean, like there's certain things that we create fantasy about, right? Say dragons and orbs and crystals and powers and certain things. Yeah, there's a certain amount of things that we kind of base a lot of fantasy on. I don't know. Like, yeah. I think it's also like it's subtle energy. Like the Lemurians were five D, so they weren't quite that's, all three D. I mean, 3D. that's what I'm. That's what I'm sort of getting at. Yeah. Because I said it sounds like a fantasy novel. Yeah. I'm not saying like, oh yeah, it sounds like something someone made up. Yeah, well, it's like if you ever, you know, meditate with crystals, if you hold one in your hand, if you really want to meditate with them, you just tune into how it makes you feel. And it's subtle, but it's still powerful for the fact that it, it creates action within you if you want to listen to it. Yeah. And, you know, we use crystals in computers and obviously, you know, we use the clear quartz. Yeah. But who's to say that clear quartz is the only crystal that has any powers or potential to, to do things for human beings? Right. Just because... One crystal. It's the same as the moon. Like we have the moon and we say, you know, it affects our tides. But no other planets in the universe do anything. Just the moon. Yeah. yeah. Like how do we really know that? You know, like it's just that we haven't got the scientific scientific instruments to measure things yet like that. Or maybe we do, but they just don't use them because they they don't want to uh, like have us aware of 
the magnificence of the universe and the magnificence of ourselves and our own powers. So that's why it's all denied. I look forward to the time where we can actually measure these things. It'll be fascinating. (laughs) I mean, there's so many things that we consider black magic, which are now just understood Mm. and important, normalised things. Yeah. Well, like when I hold a crystal, for example, like if I have a crystal that... I have one called Starbury, which is good for getting ideas. I pay attention to it, to the what goes on in my mind when I'm holding it. I fair enough, I do get lots of ideas, and I get really positive energy for creating um, business and different things like that. So then it's up to me though to take action with them. But if people expect a crystal to do something for you, like actually do the work for you, it isn't going to do that. But if you want ideas, you can get ideas from meditating with a crystal, and then you create the action. But you're getting the, the support from the crystal. Yeah. Mm. I think crystals are, is a whole other rabbit hole. I've seen a little bit about, like I was watching this series on YouTube for a while called Spirit Science. Mm-hmm. Maybe you know that? Yeah. It was an interesting introduction because it started out as sacred geometry. Mm-hmm. And I was really, I think I, I just started taking Dexies at that time. <laughs> so, so like my brain was really, really fascinated by that type of thing. And it started out as just like, hey, just look at this weird relationship between like all these shapes and and stuff and look what they do. And he started assigning certain names to things like, oh, let's just call this source. And like, okay, this is the seed of life, the flower of life, tree of life, all that type of stuff. And then eventually, all of a sudden, so crystals. And I was like, what? (laughs) I want to know cool, like sacred geometry stuff. But to me, there's a big leap between sacred geometry and seeing like these strange properties of shapes, you know, Metatron's cube. It's stuff that, I mean, every second person has tattoos of of this stuff these days. Mm -hmm. But like the leap from that to crystals, I still haven't made that leap across yet. What could you say to me to convince me about that? Well, if you consider how crystals are made in the earth, have you ever watched any videos of people pulling crystals out of the ground? Yeah, like amethyst geodes and stuff. So that's been forming for like billions of years. Think about like all the things that have happened on the planet during that time and, and energy and how that gets embedded with energy. You know, that's those rocks that have been building for billions of years, all that energy into them. Like why... Is it too hard to imagine that they wouldn't have some type of wisdom and the energy that's inside them? Yeah. I mean, that's on the premise that wisdom and energy is something that can be soaked into minerals or be absorbed by things. But yeah, Mm. on that level, it makes sense. But I mean, I can't imagine holding something and just feeling like it inherently has something that can change or influence me. Yeah, you have to allow yourself to because it's subtle energy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That seems to be like a common thing as well with scepticism. Mm-hmm. If you're a staunch skeptic yeah, and you sit out looking at the sky going, all right, come on, UFOs, show yourself you're not going to see anything. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. It'd be, be funny if you did. <laughs> it would be. I'd love that. <laughs> There's a guy on TikTok who made a challenge to all the witches of TikTok saying, everyone curse me. And this is like going on three months now, mm-hmm. four months. Mm-hmm. And so the community of witches and spiritual workers in TikTok were just enraged by this guy because he's such an arrogant person. Yeah. And, I th- and he's obviously trying to provoke them. And so a lady said, give me a sample of your hair and also give me a photograph, send it to me and I'll do a curse on you. Mm-hmm. And it should work anywhere between three days to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And so 
she did it and nothing happened. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden everyone erupts again saying, oh, that's because he's got all these people sending positive energy towards him. Oh, that's because he's like a, a Freemason wizard or something like, yeah. like that. But like when I'm watching this, I kind of think to myself, we've seen this a million times with skepticism where it's almost like its own art form in blocking things. Like you have to be open yeah. to these things for it to be, you have to be genuinely open. You can't be, okay, try it. You know, I'll let you try this thing on me. You have to be allowing yourself to believe. Yeah, you don't have to be entirely unskeptical, though, I found. Right? Yeah, you can just be a bit open. Just need to be a little bit open. A bit open. Like, in my experience, when I was about 22, I came back from travelling and been in Italy, and I'd had all these incredible experiences, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, I didn't know how to fit back in, living with my family, etc. And one day I felt like I need to go down to Fremantle to go to this shop and I went to the shop and I met this guy in the shop he started chatting to me and he said oh you got you got a spirit guide and who wants to talk to you I want to tell you what they've got to say I was like really so we went and sat outside we're not chatting for 12 hours and we spent the whole day (laughs) together and he told me so many mind-blowing things but to get my um, belief in him in the very beginning he said he had to tell me something that I knew he wouldn't know so he said oh, you know that time when you were overseas and you gave that lady with a walking stick some money? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He goes, yeah, "Yeah, you've earned my help from that good act that you did. Because I gave this lady, this beggar lady some money and I gave a kid some money. And I'd never met this guy before in my life. He was from Kalgoorlie. And he said he'd come down the train that week to, to help, that weekend to help someone. And he said it was me in the end. He said his spirit guide told him it was meant to meet me. Right. And so he had to like override my skepticism to get me to listen to him. Yeah. And so that got my attention. And then he also put two crystals in my hand, two rose quartz, and closed my palm and made me close my eyes and said, What do you see? And I could see two pink lights glowing in my third eye area. Yeah. And I'd never seen that holding crystals before. But maybe because of him and his strong intention, his ability to make me see that energy, I could see it for the first time. I was like, wow. So then I started to think, well, crystals really do something. But before that, I didn't. Interesting. It's like a I don't believe in fairies type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's insane. Yeah. And then what? also like um, when COVID happened, I was in Byron. I decided to move down to Sydney in March 2020. And I hadn't paid any attention to COVID whatsoever. Like I'd heard some vague thing on the news somewhere that there was some toilet paper like shelves going empty and I thought that was overseas. And I packed up my house, moved down to Sydney, got there and I'm like, oh my God, there's no toilet paper. (laughs) I've like missed some big memo because I don't know what is going on. And all of a sudden everything started to shut down. I was running out of money. I thought I'm going to just leave in my car. Like I got some work but I said, sorry, we're going to close down now. I'm like, we're all closing down? What? So anyway, a friend of mine in Byron, I spoke to her on the phone, she goes, oh, just come back to Byron and live with us. It's fine. So I went back to Byron and I lived with her and she's a crystal shamanic healer. And I spent two months of lockdown just playing with crystals. She get all these massive shipments of crystals from Brazil and different places. Uh-huh. And before that, like even though I've loved crystals for a couple of decades now, I was still a bit sceptical about them. And it wasn't until like I was spending time with her and she'd say all these things like, now we're going to go down into the earth's energy and connect with the ley lines and all this stuff. And I'm like, I was like, I have like one eye open and one eye closed. Like, I'm like, really? Like, I don't know if I can really believe what she's saying, but I just went along and did it with her because I had nothing else to do sitting around. And I started to have lots of different experiences just holding crystals. So 
even though I was skeptical, it started to work. And now, I, now I'm really open to it and it happens easily. Right. I've always put crystals underneath my pillow or I meditate with them and I, I wait for a while until I feel something and until I get an image burst in my third eye. And it always yeah. happens. There's lots of images sometimes. Do you hope that one day you'll get to that level that that guy was where he said that he went from Calgary to Fremantle with some type of purpose and you fulfilled that? Like, I think I already that, do. And he was able to tell you some insight? Well, I think he has his own unique gifts and my, my gifts are different. You know, right. like he's got the gift of connecting people with their spirit guides. Maybe I could do that if I pull my energy into it. But at the moment, I'm more focused on doing healing things. Okay. And I have a lot of great experiences in my work doing what I do. So I'm not really comparing myself with him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like my friend recently, she had a weeping eye. She'd had it for, for months. And that I'd, would be so annoying. Yeah. You'd just be talking to her and look like she's crying. She has that one eye that would just have a tear yeah. coming down the whole time. I've seen people like that. Yeah. yeah. And so I tuned in. I found some ancestral emotions from her grandmother and her mother and she's like, yeah, my grandmother's got a weeping eye. My mother's got a weeping eye. I cleared it all for all of them. And then her weeping eye just stopped straight away. She hasn't had it since. And that's like satisfying to me. Like that's my own thing. Not like putting crystals that's, in the hand. But yeah, you know, yeah. we just, just have our own things that we do. You know? That's what drives you. You really yeah. have a strong desire to heal. Yeah. And I think like when I didn't sleep for six years, I was always trying to find answers for my insomnia and, and how to heal my body. So now I just use that knowledge with my work you yeah. know so you had a purpose in the yeah. end <laughs> besides like being this amazing mind-blowing better than drugs visual yeah. hallucinatory sort of experience that it was as well yeah yeah well it's been great like getting that type of insight from you because i never knew you during that six-year period mm. i and actually came to art school just after it finished just when i started sleeping in right, right. and i always used to rock up late because i'd always be sleeping in <laughs> But then in the end, they just got used to it. They're like, oh, your Tanya will come when she gets yeah. here. <laughs> the thing is, like, people usually wear their identity on their sleeves, you know, if they're a bit sassy or if they're a bit like this or like that. You've always been just kind of just a, a calm, cheerful person. And it's hard to be able to see how you got there or like what's going on in your life. So I personally found it hard to read because I'd never met someone like that. So I didn't have anything to base it off. So when you were saying all these things to me, I'm just like... Is she crazy? <laughs> is she just like, um, and you know, I mean, no offense by that. Yeah, no, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't mean offense. It's almost like an indication of, of ah, where, where I was. I totally understand. I said, I would have thought I was crazy listening to myself. Like before I was eight, when I was 18, I would have definitely thought I was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't care if people think I'm crazy whatsoever because I know exactly what, what, that's, what that's like. Yeah, but one thing's clear and that there is so much more to discover. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I still feel like I'm a newbie, like I've got so much to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's why it takes several lifetimes. Yeah. To get the proper full experience. Yeah. 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 Anyway, thanks for talking to us. No worries. You're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Next time you're back in Perth, let's do another one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks. See you later. Bye.